Thank you all so much. I hope uh, that you've got your Bible and you'll turn to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture that is so familiar, I hope, to all of you. And that is about the day that the Apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I am so grateful that we can come into your house and sing your praises and listen as others sing and, Lord, just fellowship with each other. But, Lord, I am thankful, too, that we can open your word. I thank you again that it is truth, divinely inspired, and that you have given us this word, Lord, to help us to know not only your Son is our Savior, but, Lord, how we can make him our Lord and follow him and serve him and be fishers of men for him. So, Father, in these moments ahead, as we look at the life of Paul and about how he came to know your son, Lord, I just pray that you will touch our hearts and lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you again that you give us all second chances. And I thank you, Lord, for the characters in Scripture that we've been learning about the second chance that you gave them. Lord, perhaps someone here today needs that second chance to turn to your son and receive him as Savior. And Lord, perhaps we who are Christians who name the name of Christ, perhaps we've gotten off on the wrong path. But thank you again, Father, that you're there to give us a second chance. Oh, Father, bless us in these moments, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, in these recent months, we have been looking at uh, examples in the Bible of people that God gave a second chance to. And, Mackenzie, if you go to that next one, and again, we've done this every Sunday, but I want to remind you, and this is just, just a couple, okay? Uh, the Lord gave Peter and the disciples a second chance after they denied him and fled from him. How about Jonah, the Old Testament prophet? The woman at the well. The last two Sundays we studied about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And now perhaps for as many as three Sundays we want to look at Paul's conversion experience. How Saul the persecutor became Paul the proclaimer of the gospel. So please follow with me either in your Bible or on the overhead these verses. Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 23. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he journeyed, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, Listen to this. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the home of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul, 
for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, folks, listen to this, verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and took food and was strengthened. For several days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And in the synagogues immediately he proclaimed, listen to this, he proclaimed Jesus saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon his name? And he has come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest. But Paul increased, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, folks, listen to verse 23. Saul had come to Damascus to what? To bind Christians, carry them back to Jerusalem to have them killed. But before he leaves Damascus, because he has come to know who Jesus is, listen to this. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Can you see the big change that was taking place? Every believer's testimony of how God gave them a second chance is beautiful. But is there a more amazing testimony of the love and grace of Christ than that of Paul? Perhaps every Christian who has read the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and I remind you that as far as we understand, Paul wrote at least 13 letters, the book of Romans through the book of Philemon, and have experienced the, examined the missionary journeys of Paul. And Paul, you remember, took at least three missionary journeys. You and I would say that Paul was one of the greatest believers, the greatest evangelist, and one of the greatest missionaries who has ever followed the Lord Jesus but do you and I fully know who this man Paul was before he met the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus? And I hope and pray that God's word will thrill your heart today as you look at the change that happened in this man's life and heart when he met the Lord Jesus. And there's two verses that I hope that you and I, as we read about Paul, will think about over and over in the coming weeks as we examine Paul's conversion and life for the Lord. And let me point out these two verses, okay? They're going to be on the overhead. You've heard these so many times, but listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And folks, I don't know if there's ever been a human being on the face of the planet who has changed any more than the Apostle Paul. Think about that verse as we continue to look at 
the change in Paul. And think about also Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Folks, Romans 1.16 is such a powerful verse because not only is Paul saying, I'm not ashamed to spread the gospel, but listen to what he says. It is the power of God. The word, the expression, the power here is the Greek word dynamis, and that's where we get our English word dynamite. And Paul is saying here that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the one message that has the power to change men's lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ, if you don't mind me putting it in these terms, and actually Warren Wiersbe puts it in these terms, the gospel of Jesus is God's dynamite for breaking down sin's barriers and setting prisoners free. And when you and I receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust him as our personal savior, it breaks down the barriers of sin between us and God. And we who have been imprisoned by sin are set free. You can say amen anytime you want to, okay? So who was this man who met Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? And let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched a TV program that showed a turning point in a person's life? But in order for you to fully understand the turning point, they had to go back several days or months prior to the event to help you and I, the person that's looking at the TV program, understand that. How many of you watch NCIS? Don't raise your hand. But I know that many of you do. Uh, on Tuesday nights, I've caught my wife with her boyfriend many times in our living room. Her boyfriend is Agent Gibbs. <laughs> if you don't watch NCIS, now look, my wife is not seeing another man. I want you to know that I know of, okay? But, <laughs> but at the end of last season, you remember that their headquarters got blown up and and as they started the new season, they said, well, we got to go back and show you what happened before. Well, folks, what I want to do is show you what was going on in Paul's life before he met Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And, folks, the account of Paul's conversion is given three times in the book of Acts. Now, I hope you'll write this down because I'm asking you to read these accounts, Okay. In Acts chapter 9 through 19 that we've read, folks, Luke wrote sharing this story, but surely Paul shared with Luke the day that he met Jesus. And folks, Luke in Acts 9 is recording this as historical fact. But later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22, and it's on the overhead. Acts chapter 22, verses 3 through 16. Paul is defending himself for preaching the gospel before the crowd in Jerusalem. Folks, they're getting ready to kill Paul in Jerusalem. And he is given the opportunity to share his testimony. And he does that. And then again in Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 18, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. And he shares his testimony. And folks, Paul also tells about his life before Christ in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. 
And again, I hope, and folks, all I can do is encourage you to do this, but I believe that if you read the testimonies of Paul, it will help you see what the grace of God did in his life. But this morning, I want to spend time, and again, I hope you won't find this boring. I hope you'll get fired up about thinking about what Christ did for you and the person you were before you trusted Christ. Let me give a summary of of Paul's life according to his own testimony. And I'm going to be referring back to verses in Acts 22, Acts 26, and Philippians chapter 3. Okay? And there's at least six things that I want to share with you about Paul's life before Acts 9. Okay? First of all, look at Acts 22.3. And again, this is on the overhead. Just if you want to just look at it on the overhead. But listen to this. Paul describes himself. And again, remember, he's sharing before the crowd in Jerusalem. I am a Jew born at Tarshish in Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as you are this day. Now, folks, look at this verse for just a second. So often we read scripture and say, well, that's just honky-dory, let's move on. But listen, Paul is telling about his life before he met Christ. First of all, he says, I was a Jew. And folks, again, he was proud of it. And he thought being a Jew meant that was his passport into heaven. And he also says, I was born in Tarsus. Now, folks, this was one of the great Greek cities of the world of that day. And, folks, it was the western capital of the United Providence of Syria and Cilicia. You might say, well, big deal. Folks, let's be honest. Don't people that come from big, important cities begin to think pretty highly of themselves? I remember when I moved up here and I asked a couple of young people in the church, I said, where were you born? They said, Woodsdale, North Carolina. Y'all supposed to laugh at that. Look, they were proud. Their mailing address was still Woodsdale. And they were proud that they could say, my heritage is Woodsdale. Folks, Paul was proud that he could say, I was raised in a very important city. And folks, this made him a Roman citizen. And you remember later on in his life, when he is brought to trial, they find out that they have beaten a Roman citizen. You remember that? Folks, listen, it's thought that Paul's dad had been a man of high standing in Tarsus. But he says something else in this verse. He said, I was brought up in this city in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the religious capital of that day. And Paul also says, I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul is saying, I was taught by one of the most learned Pharisees of his time. This man, Gamaliel, was an honored member of the Pharisees and the ruling class of the Jews. He says, also, I was educated according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. And he says, I was zealous for God. He had given his life to what he had interpreted as a Pharisee to be the will of God. And again, folks, here's what I'm trying to tell you. And here's what Paul is trying to say. He thought that he was right in the sight of God because he was a Jew where he was born, how he got educated, who educated him, and what he thought he was doing for God. And again, the second thing I want to point out, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, 5, 6, and a part of verse 9, listen to this. 
though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And I want you to see this. He's going to say two times, I have confidence in the flesh. What is he trying to say? He is trying to say, I have been such a good man. I have been so religious that God is really pleased with me. You know, there, a lot of us get tempted by Satan to believe, well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I, I'm a member at a certain church. Folks, you can be a Baptist and a Methodist and a member at a certain church and still be lost, and Paul was. Listen to this. He said, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if any man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And listen to what he's going to say. He's going to tell that he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Listen to what he says, verse 5. He is circumcised on the eighth day. Now, again, folks, that doesn't have a lot of significance to us, but this goes all the way back to Abraham. And God commanded Abraham and all of his descendants to be circumcised, the males, because that proved they were the people of God. Of the people of Israel, he says. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he says. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee. And remember, who did Jesus always have trouble with? It was the Pharisees. And listen to this next phrase. As to a zeal, a persecutor as, uh, of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, folks, how many of us here would say that we're blameless? No hands are... I'm not even going to look in the men's choir. How many of us would say that we're blameless? Paul says, I'm blameless. I haven't done anything to break the laws of God. Now, folks, this might not seem important yet, but think about what Paul is going to say later on in Romans 3.10. None is righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Folks, it was a revelation for Paul to understand that he was lost in sin, even though he had all these things to his credit, and even though at the moment that he got right with God, he thought he was blameless. He measured himself by the teachings of men, and he thought his life was blameless. But folks, look at verse 9. And again, I pray to God that he's going to take his word and he's going to sow it in our heart. Listen to verse 9. Not Paul's desire is this, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Folks, let me ask you something. This righteousness of our own is based on our good works. It's based on who we think we are. It's based on thinking that before I die, maybe I'm going to do enough good things that God's going to say, well, you know, you're okay. Come on into heaven. Paul says, I want that which is based on faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know what that means? That means that we surrender to God and say, I can't save myself. I'm lost in sin. I'm a sinner. But I trust in your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for me. Folks, that happened on the road to Damascus. Paul going to persecute Christians, thinking that he was without sin, he was perfect. But when he met the Lord Jesus, he found out he was lost in sin. And folks, listen to one other verse. 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. How much did Paul think of himself? Listen to this. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely jealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Folks, Paul was one of the most promising young Pharisees in Jerusalem. And Paul was well on his way to becoming a great leader of the Jewish faith according to the teachings of the Pharisees. But guess what he found out on the road to Damascus? He was lost. Listen to a third thing about Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. Listen to Acts 22.4. And again, Paul is saying these words. I persecuted this way. Now, folks, the expression the way was a derogatory term by many describing Christians. And you know where that came from? John 14.6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so they began to ridicule Christians by calling them people of the way. Paul says, I persecuted this way. And look at those next three words, to the death. Paul killed Christians before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Not only did he kill them, he said, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And listen to this in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. Again, these are Paul's words. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only shut up many of the saints in prisons by authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, again, think about this. And when we get in Acts 9, he's already raised havoc in Jerusalem, and he has gone to Damascus to kill Christians and imprison them. And again, back to Philippians 3, 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And listen to Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. And look, I know we're going through a lot of Scripture today, and, and if you would like to know some of these verses, if you'll just call Fran. Thank God for Fran. Fran will give them to you. Fran, you won't have anything else to do this week, I'm sure, but give, give people where she go. But where you at, Fran? All right. All right, Fran, there she is. Uh, Galatians 1, 13. Paul says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted. Now, look at this, folks, how I persecuted the church of Jesus, uh, of God, violently and tried to destroy it. Folks, look at that. Not only did he put Christians to death, but he tried to destroy the church. Now, folks, who was he serving? He was serving Satan himself. You and I would get up in arms if there was somebody trying to destroy our church, I hope, wouldn't we? Amen. And this is what Paul is doing. He's going from place to place trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Where's the first mention of Saul or Paul in Scripture? Let me read these verses. Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58. Remember, this is the time that Stephen is stoned. Then they mobbed him, Stephen, 
putting their hands over their ears and drowning out his voice with their shouts and dragged him out of the city to stone him. And again, this is Stephen. The official witnesses, the executioners, took their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named who? Paul. This is out of the Living Bible. Folks, this is the first mention of Paul in Scripture. And then listen to the next verses, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This is out of the Living Bible too. Paul was in complete agreement with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution of the believers began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and everyone except the apostles fled into Judea and Samaria. But some godly Jews came and with great sorrow buried Stephen. Now look at verse 3. Paul was like a wild man going everywhere to devastate the believers, even entering private homes and dragging out men and women alike and jailing them. Folks, listen to this translation. And I believe the Revised Standard, I didn't look in the King James, but the Revised Standard says that Paul was ravaging the church. Make no doubt about it, Paul, acting like a wild animal, wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And from the words that we just read in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Saul seems to have been the early leader of the church's first persecution. And folks, this persecution was intense and severe. Men and women were put in prison. Again, look at verse 3. Entering private homes, dragging out men and women alike, and jailing them. And many were put to death. Now look at Acts 9.1. But Paul, Saul still breathing threats and murder. Now again, understand, folks, this is a picture of this man. He is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he goes to the high priest. And Paul's own words in Acts 26, 10, and 11, And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only shut up many of the saints in prison by authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Folks, I'm just about to finish for this morning, but I want to point a couple of things out, okay? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic or funny. For the Pharisees, Paul had become the hitman against the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus Christ. Paul was going to churches, Christian churches, as the hitman, not only having people imprisoned, but people killed. You remember where many of the early Christian churches began? Now, we know that Paul would go to the synagogues, but where else? In homes. Paul entered both the church houses or homes and synagogues to imprison and to persecute and to kill Christians. Let me again read verse 11. Paul says, these are Paul's words. I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. Why does he do that? If they blasphemed and denounced the name of Jesus, they would be set free. 
But if they would not denounce the name of Jesus, they would either be imprisoned or killed or both. Folks, how frightened were the early Christians and church of Paul? Let me read these verses to you. How about Ananias, Acts chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, when God tells Ananias to go to the street called Straight and find the man that has been blinded. Listen to what Ananias says to the Lord. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. And later on in Acts chapter 9, Paul goes back to Jerusalem and listen to this. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought it's a setup. Folks, do you remember the rest of that story? You remember there was a man who had become a believer who, who befriended Paul. His name was Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. Barnabas is one who begins loving on Paul so that the church will love on him. Folks, here's what I'm trying to say, and I'm going to summarize it today. Paul, in the eyes of the Jews and the Jewish leader, was a great, zealous servant of God, they thought. He was educated. He was important. He was on his way to the top. But in the eyes of God, he was lost. His pride, his arrogance, his self-righteousness, he was a blasphemer. He insulted God. He persecuted God's church and children. He was putting them to death. So what does God do? What does he do? What would you do if somebody was coming here killing your family members who were professing Christians, who was trying to destroy the church? What would you do? I'd get my 270 after him, wouldn't you? Or the 357. But let me read these verses, and I promise I'm close. What does, Paul, what does God do? Let me give you the words of Paul. Listen to this. 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Listen to this. I thank him who has given me strength for this, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful by appointing me to his service. Though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted him, but I received mercy. I received mercy. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. The saying is sure and worthy of acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And listen to what Paul says. I am the foremost. I think in the King James, I am the chief of sinners. Folks, listen to Romans 5.20. I thought about this verse. And I want to tell you something. My, my life has been changed as I read the writings of Paul now because when Paul talks about the righteousness of God, I understand what he's talking about, not to the full extent because Paul is so deep. But God changed Paul's life and his heart on that day in the road to Damascus. Paul said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And folks, that's the story of a Christian's life. 
We're so full of sin before we meet Jesus Christ, but guess what? Greater than our sin is greater than the love and forgiveness of God. So let me conclude with these two verses, and I promise I'm going to end. Let's go back to John 3, 17. For God sent the Son into the world. Read the rest of it with me. Not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And Luke 19, 10, read this with me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save lost. Guess what? Paul, lost, murdering, imprisoning Christians on the way to Damascus to do more, ravaging the church like a wild animal. And as he's almost about to get to town, guess who he meets? It is the resurrected Lord. Read in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is giving examples of people that met the Lord and he said, I met the resurrected Lord. And he did that day on the road to Damascus. And his life was forever changed. Can you and I imagine the sin that the blood of Jesus covered that day in the heart of Paul? I'm not trying to put Paul down. I'm trying to lift Jesus up. Because you see, if it weren't for Jesus, all of us, all of us, regardless of who we think we are, what we've done, regardless of what church we're a member of, if it hadn't have been for Jesus, we'd all be sent into eternity into hell away from the Lord. But thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ we have victory. Let us pray. Father, thank you for saving Paul. Lord, I I thank you for saving each one of us. Maybe we didn't kill Christians or have them put in jail or tried to destroy the church. But Lord, just like Paul, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thank you that even though the wages of sin is death, what we deserve is truly death. Thank you that we have eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning, Father, that if there is anyone in this room who is banking on getting into heaven because of their good works or anything outside of receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the example of Paul and help them to see that there's only one way into heaven, and that is through your Son. And I just pray, Father, that you'll speak to all of our hearts. Lord, thank you that where our sin abounded, grace abounded even more. And, Lord, we cannot thank you enough for saving us. But, Father, in these moments of invitation, I just pray that if your Holy Spirit is leading people to make decisions about their relationship with you and trusting you as Savior, about joining this church, about making a new commitment to serving you, because we realize again, Lord, all that you have done for us. Oh, Father, just bless us and have your way and your will. In Jesus' name, amen.